This morning may seem a very, uh, not very summary kind of sermon to speak about the power of anger. But I hope that when I finish the sermon, you will feel encouraged by what God's word shares with us this morning. And we're looking at Proverbs. And for those of you who have tried to read the Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs, you'll realize it's not something that you can sit and read like a story because each verse is a different proverb on its own. So what I've done is I've taken a selection of Proverbs and placed them together as our reading uh, this morning. And um, with the theme of our words and particularly angry words or quick-tempered words. So we read God's word. I won't give the readings each time. We'll just hear what each proverb says. A patient man has great understanding. But a quick-tempered man displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause or Use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. The power of anger. Way back in the 1930s, three young men were on a bus in Detroit and tried to pick a fight with a, a lone man sitting at the back of the bus. They insulted him. He didn't respond. They turned up the heat on their insults to him. This man sitting alone on, on, a, on a back of a Detroit bus, but he said nothing. Eventually, the stranger stood up. He was bigger than they had estimated from his seating position. In fact, he was much bigger than the three of them. And he simply reached into his pocket, handed them his business card, and walked off the bus and went on his way. And as the bus drove on, uh, they stayed on the bus. The, the young men gathered around the card and it read the words, Joe Lewis, boxer. <laughs> they had just tried to pick a fight with the man who would be heavyweight boxing champion of the world from 1937 to 1949. 
the number one boxer of all time, according to the International Boxing Research Organization. Second on the list is this other gentleman called Muhammad Ali. They apparently said of Lewis that he could knock out a horse with one punch. I'm sorry if you're a horse lover this morning. Another story, uh, 12th of October 2010, Aaron Farinacci, 21 years old, shot and killed his father after they argued about doing the Monday, the Monday morning dishes in their home, in their mobile home park in Arizona. And after he shot and killed his father, Aaron then turned the gun on himself in a failed suicide attempt. Obviously, he felt so bad about what he had just done. So here's one man who loses his temper over doing the dishes. And the other man keeps his cool during the taunts on the back of that bus, thereby displaying immense self-control and wisdom because he had great skill and power within himself as a boxer, yet he held it back. When you read the book of Proverbs, you're not reading laws, uh, commands, do this and don't do that. You're reading about wisdom. And wisdom is, the, is what you need when the, the commands don't apply. Wisdom is when you have someone in your car that needs to go to hospital and they're bleeding profusely and it's three o'clock in the morning and you come across the 30 mile an hour speed limit. The law says you do 30 miles an hour. But someone is dying in your car. What's the wise thing to do? It's certainly not to do 70 if any policemen are here or 50 or whatever. But certainly, there is nothing on the road. Do you have to stay at 30 when someone is dying? What's the, what's the, what do you weigh up the greater good here in that? That illustration just came to me. It's probably not the best one I could have used. But wisdom is knowing what the, the right, the wise thing to do is in any situation. I want to speak about the power of anger. And first of all, I want to speak about wrong anger. There's good anger and there's wrong anger. And this is the challenge. Anger is a quality all of you should have this morning. It's a biblical quality to have. But first of all, we must um, talk about what is wrong anger. And the first kind of wrong anger is the, the, the kind of anger that is the quick anger kind of person, the quick-tempered, the hot-tempered. Um, when we are um, thinking about the quick-angered person, we are particularly thinking about the kind of anger that destroys us emotionally and relationally. That explosive outburst, that rage which is like dynamite for the soul. And so we read there in Proverbs, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. I'm told that research shows that anger is worse on your heart 
than anxiety, than sorrow, than any other emotion. It's harder on your heart than any extreme physical excursion. Nothing sets you up for a heart attack. Nothing sets you up for heart disease. Or as Proverbs says, nothing rots the bones. Nothing disintegrates your body like anger that eats away within you. Now, my phone has just crashed, Jeremy, and I need you to show me how to go back to that. Um, You'll do it there. Okay, thank you. When you get angry, your words um, just are thrown out like weapons. And when they find their target, the result is conflict. And they wound people, they wound relationships, and they destroy relationships. And if you are someone who has a bit of a temper problem, I, I, and I've met others, you know how badly you feel when you realize the things that just came out and you, you lack control of it. And you can never quite repair the damage that those words, those explosive words, those quick anger words that came out of you have done in people's lives. It destroys us emotionally and relationally. But secondly, it also destroys your wisdom. It destroys your ability to make wise choices in the situation in which you are in. So Proverbs 14 verse 29. A quick-tempered man displays folly. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. When you get angry, it quickly distorts your view of things. It distorts the situation that you are in so that you begin to make stupid choices in your anger, and it takes away your ability to make intelligent choices at all. And so, Proverbs 19, verse 19, a hot-tempered man, person must pay the, the penalty. If you rescue them, if you say, no, it's okay, whatever, you have to do it again when they lose their temper, and again when they lose their temper, and again and again. Of all the emotions, anger is probably the most difficult to admit. Uh, some of you say, I don't get angry. I, I'm not an angry person. Um, you deny it. You say, I'm just sticking up for myself. Um, I'm just a direct speaker. I just say it like it is. Um, but often those words that you may not class as anger come from a heart and the words do their damage in people's lives. There are other people who get angry but don't show it. We call that passive anger. The anger burns within them, but it doesn't explode. But the emotional turmoil there is doing as much damage to them internally, emotionally, as the one who uh, vents their anger outwardly. Um, your anger, the words are just the same, except that you don't verbalize them, but they're inside you in the words that you want to say about the other person. There's a letter to a newspaper counsellor. Dear counsellor, you told a mother of a three-year-old to kick the furniture to get the anger out of um, her system. Well, my younger brother used to kick the furniture when he got mad. 
He's 32 years old now. He's still kicking the furniture, what's left of it. And he's also kicking his wife, the kids, and anything else that gets in his way. Last week, he kicked a television out of a second-story window, and the window was closed at the time. 20 or 30 years ago, counsellors advised us to ventilate our anger, express it, get it, out of, get it out of you. Now more and more people are saying that what Proverbs says, these ancient wisdom words uh, said are right, that the more you are angry, the more you need to be angry, and the more you will be angry and lose control. So yesterday on the BBC News website, um, you'll find this um, report from India. India. Indian man pushes birthday present BMW into river. An Indian man apparently angered at getting a BMW for his birthday instead of a Jaguar, pushed the new vehicle into a river. Video posted on social media shows it floating away on the river in the northern state of Haryana. It later got stuck on a bank of tall grass and the man said to be the son of a local landlord, tried to rescue it. Police are investigating the incident. In his anger, he pushes a brand new BMW into a river because he didn't get a Jaguar. And then obviously as he sees it floating away, he has realized what he has done in anger. Quick, the quick anger person sins. Because the angry person, it's about their control, their needs, and their feelings. That's, a one kind, that's the first kind of wrong anger. The second kind of wrong anger is one that you might be surprised at. It's the no anger person. It's to never get angry about anything. The following quote came from the Catholic internet site La Saliette Journey. In the sexual abuses cases in the Catholic Church, those who dealt with the bishops have consistently remarked that the bishops never expressed outrage or righteous anger, even at the most horrendous cases of abuse and sacrilege. What survivors in that and many other uh, situations want is not denial that it happened, but outrage at what they have suffered. Because outrage shows how wrong such things were. And so while we may think that wrong anger is the quick-anchored, the hot-tempered person, on the other extreme, to never get angry about anything surely is just as wrong. And I'll explain that a little bit more as we think about what biblical anger is. What is biblical anger? Quite simply, it's controlled. Or it's not the quick angered person, it's slow to anger. Proverbs 16 verse 32, better a patient man than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Often in Hebrew poetry, what is stated in one line is said in a different way on the second line. So, the patient person uh, contrasts the person with self-control. The warrior on the first line contrasts the one who takes a city. So better a patient person than a warrior, 
one with self-control than one who takes a whole city. Think of how, how, what a warrior could take a whole city on his own. And yet Proverbs is saying, better to have self-control, to be patient, than to be a warrior who takes a whole city. Or Proverbs 19 verse 11. A man's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Patience is often translated, another translation, as slow to anger. The patient man is not allowing the situation to, to react to it too quickly. But as you will see, God is patient and yet he is also uh, judging as well. God's way is that he is a God who is slow to anger. And so the biblical ideal is that we should be slow to anger because that's what God is like. So let me give you how frequently God is said to be a person who is slow to anger. Exodus 34 verse 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I'll just keep going through them all. Numbers. The Lord is slow to anger. Abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the son of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Nehemiah. They refuse to listen and fail to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And just a few more. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Jonah. Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. The Lord is slow to anger, says Nahum, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His, his way is in the whirlwind and the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. Over and over again, God is said to be slow to anger. That biblical anger, is to our anger is to reflect the character of God. That we are to be not quick to anger, but slow to anger. And so anger has to be a part of our lives. And that is, is, is exemplified by the second quality of biblical anger is that anger is motivated by love. If you love someone, 
Do you not get angry when something would threaten them? We must be angry to have love. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final form of hate is indifference. That is why the no anger group, it's a sin. Because they are indifferent because they don't love at all. That's why they don't get angry about anything. They don't care about anything else. Therefore, nothing makes them angry. And that is why the no anger group is just as much as a sin as the hot-tempered, quick tempered kind of person. True love will always get angry about certain things that threatens the one that you love. Now, not all anger comes out of love. Some anger is wrong, but true love will always get angry about certain things. If someone you really love is threatened, you will get upset, you will get angry, you will try and protect them because you love and care for them. Parents love their children. If someone threatens their children, uh, they will get angry to protect them. If they see that there's a quality that is wrong in their, their children, they will get angry with their children because they love them. They will get angry against the liar in their children, or the drunkard in their children, or the traitor in their children, or their sneak in them because they love them. And they don't want those qualities to become uh, rooted in them. They want them to, uh, to be healed from them. And so they will get angry about those kind of things out of love. The more you love someone, the more you will defend them against anything that would threaten them. So, for example, abortion and the scandal of abortion. Are we indifferent to it or do we believe and see it as a scandal as it is, or are we somewhere in the two? We think it's wrong, but doesn't really affect us. Is it a terrible wrong or not? And if it is, why do we not get angry about it? These perfect babies, innocent. Um, have we bought into the world's language that they only become a baby after they're born, but they're a fetus until they are born? Do we buy into the, the, the modern thing that there are development stages so you can cut, a, a, cut off a, a marking bit where it's okay to abort them before that, but not after that? Any doctor who'll tell you, who's looked into it, see this continual growth of development right from the first um, conception. What makes you angry? What do you get angry about? If you look at the things in your heart that you get angry about, you will discover that you get angry about what you want to defend. And you defend what you love the most. So if you love your space and your quietness, sometimes we get angry with our children because they take away our peace. We want to defend our sense of peace for a moment. And we get angry with them. And then we feel terrible about that because we should love them and care for them. And we shouldn't get angry over a, a situation like that. You get angry about defending what you love the most. And the reason that the quick anger and passive anger are wrong is that it's all about us. But biblical anger always defends the person that you love the most. And that's the reason why the Bible says that God 
is angry all the time. And he's angry because he loves us and he loves his people. He's angry at the cancer of sin, which destroys our hearts and is destroying the human race. He made this world beautiful for us to enjoy and he has loved us with his whole being and he sees the direction his creation is going and he's angry about it because he loves us and he cares for us. Now people say, don't preach about a God who is angry, a God of wrath. Just preach to us about a God of love. But a God who does not get angry cannot be a God who is a God of love. If God was not a God of love, then he would not need to get angry at anything because he doesn't care about anything else because he doesn't love anything else. But when you love someone deeply, you get angry at those who would hurt the one you love or what's happening in the life of the person that you love. Therefore, because God is a God of love, he is also a God who gets angry at certain things. And if you look at Jesus who the Bible says continually is perfect, you'll see him getting angry. He's angry at the temple abuses. These temple stalls set up where the Gentiles should have been able to come and worship. And he's angry that they are not denied a place of prayer in the temple. They're excluded from it. He's angry at the religious leaders and how that they treat uh, the brokenhearted uh, and those who, whose lives are broken, whether through uh, illness or th- through um, social standing or whatever. He's angry at the tomb of Lazarus, where his best friend has died. And he's angry that, this thing, this, that death still happens in God's perfect world. And he's angry at these things because it affects the people who are longing for God in their life and who are troubled by the brokenness of this life. Why does Jesus get angry? Because he is a man of perfect love, of pure love, and he gets angry and yet he sins not. Biblical anger is not a sin. If it's controlled, it is slow to anger and it's motivated by love for the person that you care for. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he talks about anger and commands us to get it into our hearts. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. But anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone Anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in charge of the fire of hell. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus contrasts two different ways of responding to the world that we live in. One is he's talking about being angry with a person without cause, with no reason. If you're motivated by love, you have a reason to get angry about what is happening in somebody else's life. Jesus is saying, anyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be subject to judgment. But also when you're faced with anger yourself, you are to turn the other cheek. John Selwyn was a prize-winning boxer who became a missionary and spent his whole life uh, as a missionary to building a church in the South Pacific. 
And one of the congregations was a man who, who was leading an immoral life, and Selwyn gave him one day a firm but loving rebuke. The man was so outraged that he should challenge his lifestyle that he punched Selwyn, uh, the missionary, violently in the face. It said that the missionary merely folded his arms and looked humbly into the man's blazing eyes. And with his boxing skill and powerful muscles, he could easily have engaged his attacker. Instead, he simply turned his face and waited calmly to be hit a second time. And this was too much for the man to handle, who was greatly ashamed and fled into the jungle. Years afterwards, the man becomes a follower of Jesus, makes Jesus his king, the Lord of his life and his saviour. And he stands in front of the church one morning and he gives his testimony of how God brought him from this darkness and this immorality to this place of grace and worship. And it was customary uh, at this time, hundreds of years ago, that a convert should take on a Christian name. And they asked him if, this is, if he wished to follow this practice. And he replied without hesitation, Yes, call me John Selwyn, because he's the one who taught me what Jesus Christ is really like. We thought a little bit about the power of anger. There is wrong anger, and that power is destructive. And many of us have faced the brutality of anger and the scars and the wounds that, that we've lived with that. And that's wrong. But there's a beautiful power of anger, biblical anger. It's controlled, it's slow to anger, and it's motivated by love. And that when you're angry, you're, you're angry because it threatens those that you love. And here is God who is slow to anger, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. What a powerful God of love that we worship today. And he asks us to show what we truly love as a church and as followers of Jesus by what we choose to get angry about. Because what we get angry about shows who we love and we care for and what is what we want to defend in our world. Some of us struggle with anger, and I know that. Some of us have, uh, some of us can be more calm, and some of us are not so quick. We all have abilities and characteristics in different ways that can be a blessing, and also in other circumstances can be a hindrance to us. And one of the ways to deal with anger or to deal with anything else and to deal with qualities that are, are vices in our lives is related to our humility. And so next week, maybe I thought I'd talk a little bit about humility, what biblical humility is. And so if you are struggling with pride even, um, or even anger, then one way to help us do that is not try and be less angry, but actually try and become more humble. Uh, but even that's a contradiction in itself, because the very point that you think you're a humble person, you've just become proud by saying that. And so humility is a, is a misunderstood quality as well. Let me leave you with this thought on the power of anger. There's a biblical quality that we should have. We should all be angry about certain things this morning. The question is, what do you love that you want to protect, that you want to stand up and say, that is wrong? May God guide us as a church in many different areas. Maybe you will not be able to, to go to Stormont 
Uh, it's, a, it's a long trip for, for six minutes. But what a powerful voice that would be for the voiceless, for those of us who are able to go and for those that will gather there to simply show that we care about the unborn child because God cares for them as well.